you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to open them to the Gospel of John. It's where we're looking this morning, taking a break from our Roman series. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have the passage printed out in the bulletin in front of you. We're looking at John chapter 1. I'll read verses 9 to 13. And I just want to tell you this. I've been a Christian for a very long time, probably seven years old. Who knows if, when you're really young. been following Christ for a really long time. But the topic that we're talking about tonight, excuse me, this morning, I'm still in RUF mode. What we're talking about this morning literally changed my life as a college student and going into seminary. So if you've been following Christ for a long time, just get ready. And then some of you have been rejecting Christ for a really, really long time. And I don't know that you're really rejecting Christ and the gospel, but maybe you're rejecting religion and the southern sentimentality that maybe needs to be rejected. Get ready for John chapter 1. So let's look at John 1. I'll read in verse 9. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open your words this morning, I simply ask that you would send your spirit. We have sung your praises. We have acknowledged our need for you. And now we are coming into your presence, hungry and needing you. Some of us have wounds that need to be Bound up this morning, we are hurting. Our families are hurting. Our circumstances are dire. And we need your cleansing grace. We need to know that we're not alone. Lord, many of us are in situations that we just don't know what to do. And we need your wisdom. Our families, our children, our workplace. We need your wisdom. Please give us that wisdom this morning. And others of us, Lord, here this morning need to be hit by the wrecking ball of Jesus Christ. We're living comfortably. We appear to have it all together. All the success, all the respect, the perfect appearance, the perfect wardrobe, the perfect car, the kids in the right school, and yet we are rotting on the inside and we know it. And we need to hear from you this morning. Please, Lord, send your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Santa Claus. No, it's not December. I recognize that. But it is holiday time. I had the the pleasure of spending my Valentine's Day in bed, which was uh, not memorable, not fun. But you have a lot of time to think about things. You think about your life. You think about your past And I thought those early years, Santa Claus, like Buddy Elf 
in the movie Elf, the enthusiasm that there's literally a rotund man who flies around and lands a sleigh on top of your house. And he is going to come down and he is going to bring you unbelievable presence, unbelievable excitement, unbelievable joy. I remember that as a, as a kid. So much fun, so much to look forward to. And yet at the same time, even as a kid, I remember the unneeded anxiety. The unnecessary anxiety. Have I been good enough for the big man to land on my house and come down my chimney? Have I really, really been good enough? How do I know if I'm good enough? What standard is that? These are the things that I thought about as a small kid. Maybe I needed help. Who knows? <laughs> but the anxiety, the stress. Have I been naughty? Have I been nice? Am I okay? I know that many of us have outgrown Santa Claus. And yet I want to suggest to you this morning that our Santa Claus anxieties are still here today. Many of us are still limping in this morning to Athens, Georgia, to Redeemer Presbyterian Church, asking the very questions that I was asking as a small kid. See, these Santa anxieties don't die easy, do they? We believe that we can do enough, that we can provide enough, that we can be a good enough mom, a good enough dad, a good, good enough business person. And year after year after year, we carry these things around with us. I think that Jesus sums up these fears and these anxieties that we have, that all of us have, whether you're following Christ or not. He, he sums them up well in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. And as someone who's a father, this is extremely challenging. He says this, Of which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? He's intentionally trying to be humorous. He's intentionally trying to be um, absurd and, and take things to the logical, logical conclusion. Verse 10, or if he asks for a fish, who will give him a serpent? And what kind of father would do that? If you then, Justin Clement, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, John Huss, Gardner, Eliza Jane, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, Give good things to those who ask him. Friends, I think the ultimate issue is that we struggle. You may not know that this is the category of your, of your struggle, but I want to suggest this is your struggle. We don't really believe that we have a Father in heaven that we can count on who really does care for you, who cares for the very intricate personal needs and desires and longings that rest in every single one of your hearts this morning. And so in Matthew 7, we ask ourselves, have I done enough? Have I avoided enough? Have I served enough in Redeemer? Have I done enough in RUF? Have I been a good enough parent? Man, who of us doesn't struggle with that? Am I messing up my kids? <laughs> have I been a good enough husband? Have I been a good enough mother? What do I do with the whole organic thing? What do I do with the whole homeschool thing? What do I do with this? And the endless anxiety and stress... We live with these endless questions in our hearts and minds, don't we? Questions that all of us can relate to. And I want to invite you to face those questions head on this morning, not to avoid them. Face them. And I want to suggest that the answer is found in John chapter 1. It's believing in our adoption as children of God. 
understanding and living out of the gift of our adoption. Friends, this is a belief that we are not merely forgiven in God's courtroom, legally. That He has thrown away all of your bad deeds and put them on Jesus and given you the righteousness of Christ. That's obviously a wonderful gift of our union with Christ in justification. But I think so many times we stop there. And this is what I was doing as a Christian for so long. How does God then relate to you when you fall on your face as a believer? How does God, your father, relate to you now when you fall on your face as a husband, as a mother, as a son, as a daughter, as a college student? Friends, this is where adoption comes into play. That you, have a, that you don't just relate to your God as a judge. You relate to him as a father. As a daddy whose love for you is completely unconditional because the conditions have already been met in Jesus Christ. So when you fall as a Christian, he still relates to you as a heavenly father. A heavenly father who delights in his children. Listen to what one author named J.I. Packer says about this very topic that we're discussing this morning. He says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. Did you catch that? You don't understand Christianity if you don't first start with being God's child. And having God as his father. Packer says this, If this is not the thought, the thought that prompts and controls his or her worship and prayers... Even his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. It sounds like adoption is kind of a big deal. It's kind of important. My question for you is how are you relating to your Heavenly Father this morning? Not what theology you hold to, not what, how many PCA churches you've been a member of. I'm asking when you look at your life, when your wife, your husband, your brothers, your sisters, your roommates look at your life... How would they say that you are relating to your Heavenly Father? How much do you make of the thought of being God's child? This morning I want us to see, friends, that adoption is a tremendous gift of salvation. It is tremendous. And there's three ways that we're going to see this this morning. The first thing I want us to look at is that adoption is a tremendous gift that cannot be earned. It cannot be earned. Look at verse 13 for yourself. This is a rather compact passage. John says this, that our adoption is not of blood. This means that your identity, your adoption, your standing, your position is not based upon aristocracy or being a blue blood, being born into the right family, having certain privileges and and opportunities because you're in the right family. You have the right blood coursing through your veins. We know this In America, we have those certain families, right? That have all the privileges, all the responsibilities because their name. But what John is saying to us is that your adoption into Jesus is not about your bloodline at all. In this context, it's not about your Jewishness. It's not about your pedigree. It's not about your family of origin, friends. I don't care what your family background is. Says you're not defined by that anymore if you are in Christ. For Jesus, it was the exclusion of Gentiles from fellowship. We don't derive our our identity from anything 
outside of us. Think about the things that we do today, even in Athens. What side of the tracks do you live in? Do you live on? Are you Anglo? Are you black? What neighborhood do you live in? What clothes do you wear? Where do you shop? What are the outward things that you look at when you come into worship on Sundays and you size people up as they come in? He must be like this. She must be like that. What does this mean for us, friends? It means a couple of things. That this morning, if you feel like an outsider, if you feel like you don't fit, it's good news. Because Jesus would come to you. He comes to the outsider. He comes to the one who doesn't have necessarily the right bloodline. But also, it's challenging for those of us that would want to define ourselves by superficiality. It's a radical challenge that you can't be in Christ and define yourself by your bloodline any longer. By your family name. By your aristocracy. Because you have a new family name in Jesus. But what else does John see? What else does John say here? Look, it's not about blood nor of the will of the flesh. If the bloodline is aristocracy, friends, the will of the flesh is meritocracy. What merit? What have you accomplished? What have you done as you've pulled yourself up by your bootstraps? Have you done enough good stuff to merit your adoption? Have you gone to church enough? Have you avoided the bad stuff? Friends, this is the American Protestant work ethic. Let's be hard workers and then Jesus will accept us. Be a good person. Take care of your kids. Provide for them. And surely God will accept you. Not according to the Bible. The Bible says that it is not about the will of the flesh, not about what you will, what you desire. In many ways, can't we all relate to that older son in the prodigal son story in Luke 15? Do you remember the story? The good son who kept his life clean. He was compliant. He stayed at home while the other brother partied and just totally squandered all of his family's money. He was the good kid. He had all of the merit, but it made him a sour person, didn't it? Not the kind of person you want to be around. Because his whole life was about protecting his merit, his identity. Friends, we do not live out of our adoption because at times we still think our Father's favor is earned and not given as a gift. Adoption is a gift that cannot be earned, not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Are you a child of God because you somehow made the right decisions in life and avoided the bad decisions? Because of your autonomy? Because of your decision making? Not according to the scriptures. If your will had anything to do with it, it would not be a gift. In fact, it would be some form of self-salvation. So friends, we must see that our aristocracy, our meritocracy our perceived sense of autonomy has zero to do with you being adopted into God's family. Zero. So adoption is this gift that cannot be earned. But how else is it a gift? Look at verse 12. It's a gift that must be received. 
to all who did receive him and believed in his name. See, adoption has everything to do with believing in what Christ brings to the table, not what you bring. But what do we have to believe in? We have to believe in Christ's identity. You're believing in his identity, in his bloodline, so to speak, as the eternal son of God. To receive him, to yield allegiance to him as your Lord. And to believe, not just to believe facts about him, but to trust him as your identity. What else is this gift that must be received? We also must receive Christ's work. It's not about the will of your flesh. But it has everything to do with the obedience of Jesus. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. You are adopted into God's family as a son and a daughter because Christ was completely obedient to the law. He did everything. Jesus succeeded everywhere that we failed. Look at verse 11. Even though he was successful in obeying the law, he was not received. Verse 11, he was rejected. He was not just rejected by his family, but he received the rejection of his father, even on the cross. That he received the separation from God that every single one of us deserved so that now we would be fully accepted into God's family. Jesus completed the work. And if you're trusting in Christ, the Father relates to you, friends, completely according to the obedience of Jesus. He doesn't relate to you based upon whether you've had a quiet time, whether you've gone to church, whether you've tithed this month, whether you had a good week of disciplining your children out of love, whether you've been a good student, whether you've gone to RUF all semester, these are all the things that we tend to think about. And this passage is reminding us God relates to you through the finished work of Jesus. He relates to you now as a father does to his son. Look at verse 13. It's not about our decision to walk an aisle, but God's decision to give us new birth. That our birth is up to God, not up to us. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Friends, I have a friend very close to me who has four children. We've been friends since college, and we've kept up through the years. He's a minister now in Nashville. And I love to see the pictures, the Christmas cards that he sends to our family. You have these three children 
you have uh, two old, uh, one oldest son, and then you have these two younger, petite little girls. But they have a fourth child who looks nothing like those other three children. His name is Judah. And he is a, a boy that was adopted um, from Africa. And to hear that story of how God redeemed this child and brought them into my friend's family is amazing. I love to look at these videos that my friend has sent me to see Judah playing freely with his brothers and sisters, to see all of the privileges that he has, to see him reading all of these books, to see him having a home over his head, not having to worry about people coming in the middle of night and hurting him. That he doesn't have to sleep on a dirt floor. He has not just a blanket to sleep with, but he has a bed and even a bedroom of his own. He has brothers and sisters that love him. And how I wait and I look forward to meeting Judah face to face one day. And what I really want to do is just gently grab him by the shoulders and look at him in the white of his eyes and say, do you have any idea the benefits and the privileges and the life that you have been saved from? Do you have any idea? And of course the answer is no, right? He's a small child, six years old. Do you have any idea what you have been saved from? The life, all of the privileges. Look at these gifts that have been given to you. Friends, I want to grab each of you gently by the shoulders this morning and give you that same message. That you have been adopted into God's family. Do you see these benefits? I know our struggles. We all fall on our face. None of us here has it all together. And if you do, you've got problems. Do you see, friends? Can you look at me in the wide of my eyes? And and do you know these benefits that I'm speaking of? That I don't care about your bloodline, right or wrong. It doesn't matter how much money's in your wallet or whether you have a wallet full of money. It doesn't matter your theological knowledge or your lack thereof. It doesn't matter whether you've been a complete screw-up your whole life and you're like that prodigal, that prodigal son or daughter who has wasted your life. Jesus Christ gives grace right now. And he will relate to you not based upon that, back, that track record. He will, he will relate to you based upon the work of Jesus. Do you know this to be true? Not just in a theological sense that you agree to because you want to be a member of this church, but that you really live out of. That when you parent your kids, when you think about your academics, when you think about conflict, when you think about this local church, that changes how you relate to people. That he relates to you as a son and a daughter. Do you know the past that you have been redeemed from? Do you know the future that is in front of you? All because of Jesus. Friends, this is the gift of adoption. This is the gift of adoption that changes everything. Think about the areas that this might challenge us. That as as children of God, we're not slaves. I want to suggest that so many of us are enslaved to a certain identity that we are all wanting desperately to put forward this morning and throughout the week. Some of it's the identity of being the perfectly put together business person 
or the very successful doctor or the mother or the, or the daughter or the son or the Athens hipster person. Whatever the identity that you're putting forward, I want to suggest is it, it's actually slavery. Because you're wanting desperately to be affirmed and accepted and approved of and you're not believing the gospel. You have a new identity as a child of God, friends. As a son and a daughter of the king. You have an identity that will never be taken from you, no matter whether you have a bad game, a good game. You make a good deal in business, whether you have a bad surgery, whether you got angry with your kids, whether you totally blew a test and now you can't do pre-med, whether he broke up with you, whether she broke up with you, whether your marriage is not panning out the way that you thought it was going to pan out. You have a new identity that will never be taken from you. And you know what that does, friends? It creates a joy that is unspeakable. Not a cheesy smile that you can slap on when actually you're hurting, but a true undercurrent of joy that knows that you have an identity as a child of God that will never be taken from you. No matter how broke you are, no matter that you didn't get into grad school, no matter that you don't have a job, and no matter that your marriage is hurting. A joy that is beyond our circumstances. That's what adoption does. You know, what, you know what adoption also does? It creates a new community. It creates a new community of people that only brag and recognize that we're about Jesus. That we're about our Father who has brought us in to His family. It changes how we relate to people. We begin to ask questions not about what can Redeemer do for me? Does Redeemer have all of the full service programs and bells and whistles and opportunities that I need for my family to grow, that I need for my marriage to flourish, that I need as a college student because I know what I need to grow? If this is really true, then what you do is you come in with a joy and a humility that says, this is a place that celebrates King Jesus. And it doesn't matter how much money is in your wallet, doesn't matter whether you have a job, but we're here and we're coming as we are and we're celebrating Christ and what he has accomplished. See, friends, it changes how we think about community. Because if it is really true that you don't have anything to be afraid of, then the masks come down really fast, don't they? All the personas, all the identities, all the things that we're looking for, you kind of leave those in the parking lot before you come in, don't you? Because all you have is Jesus. I think we also tend to think as we consider adoption, that we have a new eye for outsiders. If the paradigm is this, Jesus, the eternal, unique Son of God, comes into the world full of glory, but not looking like how everyone was expecting Him to look, was completely rejected. Even the ones closest to Him rejected Him. Even His followers rejected Him at the foot of Golgotha. The centurion, pagan, Gentile, was the only one who got it. I think that that says something about how we relate to people when they come in here. That we're always having an eye for the outsider. We're having an eye for the one that doesn't fit. Because that's precisely the very people who Jesus came for. Because we know what it feels like to be an outsider. We know what that means. And we're going to reach out to those people. If this is really true. This is the last implication. I have more. I'm going to stop right here. 
I think that we have a new read on assurance too, friends, that we're desperately looking to know that we're assured, that we're okay. And if this is true, then you have the assurance that you've been longing for. The assurance that you've been waiting for your wife to tell you, you're a good husband, you're a good dad. Wives, the affirmation and connection with your husband that you've been longing for. You're a great mom. You're a great wife. College students, the affirmation from your parents that you've been longing for. You're okay. You're a great student. I love you. Friends, you might wait your whole life to hear that. But the only person's affirmation and assurance that you will ever, ever need from a heart that is not fickle and up and down like all of us is to hear the words from your Heavenly Father, you are mine. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I am connected to you. Yeah, you're going to fall on your face, and it's going to be disappointing. But you know what? I'm relating to you by grace, because you are in my family. Friends, are you relating to God this morning as a Heavenly Father who loves to give you good gifts? Who, when you ask him for a fish, is not going to give you a serpent? I want to close with one final story. San Antonio was very hot in the summer, in case you didn't know that. We did a lot of, we did a lot of swimming when we were in San Antonio. I look forward to doing a lot of swimming down here. And Gardner loves swimming, but he needs a little bit of pushing periodically. He needs to be affirmed. He needs to know that we're going to be there for him. I remember one story where Gardner was standing on the side of the pool, standing up with his floaties on, his arms out. And I'm standing in the pool with my arms open, pleading with him to jump into the pool. Come on. But you could see the anxiety and the fear in his eyes as his toes would inch closer and closer to the edge. Looking around at all the other kids playing, looking around at the moms and dads, is somebody going to make fun of me? Do I look different? And then he makes eye contact with me, standing in the pool. He looks at my hands as they're outstretched, just a couple of inches from him. He sees me standing in the water. He hears me calling to him to jump into his arms that you can trust me. And then he looks away. And then he looks again. And then he jumps. He saw my hands. He saw my arms. He looked at me in the wide of my eyes. And he knew that I would catch him. That I could be trusted that I'm his father, and that he is my son. Do you know that if you are in Christ this morning, friends, you are safe in the arms of your father? There is no safer place to be. Many of us are standing as Christians with our toes this morning, dangling over the edge, and we're asking the same question that Gardner's asking. Will you really catch me again, Daddy? I mean, really catch me. Can I really trust you with the future, Daddy? That your ways really are best? Can I really trust you with my children and my marriage? 
can I really trust you with my anger and my fear, my unmet expectations, and even my anxiety? Will you really catch me for the 1,000th time, Daddy? Will your arms hold up again? Do you know why his arms will catch you? Do you know why? Because you have been adopted into his family, friends, because of Jesus. John Owen says this, and it's so true. If the love of a father will not make a child delight in him, what will? You have a father who is delighting in you because of the work of Jesus. Let us pray. Let us believe, Lord, that you are a heavenly father that delights in his children because your justice has been paid in full. The cup of your wrath has been drank down to the dregs by the cross of Calvary. That there's no more judgment and condemnation to pour out upon our head. There's no more rejection because Jesus was rejected for us. Let us believe now, Lord, that we are your children. Let us make our decisions and see ourselves and see our community and see this church through these eyes, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.